So you're going to want a Bible this morning and, uh, and go on and open it up. We are in the beginning of the Bible, so it should be easy to find Genesis chapter 2. But as you're finding your way there, uh, as Kyle said, we are celebrating our grand opening of this space. Obviously, we've been meeting in this space since Christmas Eve, but opening it up to the community. And so uh, I want to show a little uh, video that we made to celebrate and, uh, and to prepare for our grand opening. So we'll show that here in just a sec. 11 years ago, Grace Monroe was planted with a big vision for a small town. What would it look like if a community of people encountered God in such a powerful way that it didn't just transform their lives, but flowed out of them to transform the people and the places around them? I mean, that's what we believe, that when the gospel gets planted in the soil of someone's heart, in the soil of a community, it changes things. Restored people, restoring places. Restored hearts, restored hopes, restored families, restored lives. And so we launched a church out of an abandoned, dilapidated cotton mill that had once been the lifeblood of the town. A picture and reminder that God can take the old and make something new, the broken and craft something beautiful, the abandoned and create a place of belonging. In fact, God's heart is to bring dead things back to life. And now a decade later, that original vision still compels us forward. We wanna stay focused on the mission, pursuing God's heart for the restoration of all things. We wanna see the next generation reached with the love and grace of Jesus. We wanna see house churches planted and flourish in our neighborhoods. We wanna see leaders empowered and launched around the world. Lives changed, disciples made, churches planted, the miraculous happened. And now we boldly step into this next season turning an old abandoned school into a place of worship and community, a base of mission and ministry right in the heart of Walton County at the gateway to our city, to see that original vision of transformation multiplied and expanded, believing the best is yet to come. forget because what I'm going to tell you is that what God is going to do here if I told you your ears would tingle and you wouldn't believe it. So who's excited about grand opening next week? From the beginning we have said it's not about these buildings it's about what they represent and it is about creating space that God can move in the hearts and lives bringing restoration to all things not restoration just simply to bricks and mortar, but restoration to souls, to families, to marriages, uh, bringing restoration to dreams and hopes. And so uh, we are staying true to who we've been from the beginning, passionate about reaching the next generation, as Kyle said, but also about equipping people to step into their God-given calling. And that's what this morning really is about and a calling that we believe that God wants to launch out of Monroe, not simply to transform this place, this city, which we do believe that. We're passionate about reaching the neighborhoods. But also, we truly believe that decades from now, that God can impact our world, that God can send out from this place to the nations. And God has already surprised us by doing so. He has uh, birthed partnerships in Benin, West Africa, and, and launched uh, 
trips and ministry in Israel and Palestine, sent a family to China uh, from here in Monroe and uh, in Thailand now. And so we've watched God reach the nations. And so really that is why we're in Genesis. You know, it felt appropriate that as we were beginning this new season as a church, that we would go back to the beginning of our story. And we recognize that it's not a story that began in uh, 2010 in a cotton mill in Monroe, Georgia. It's not a story that even began in, uh, in 2000 uh, when God moved Grace from Grace Fellowship to, uh, in Lilburn to Snellville that began planting other churches. It's not even a story that began in 1983 when God planted a little church in a daycare in Tucker, Georgia. No, this is a story that goes back to the very beginning. A story of God's heart for his people. And the question we're asking is simply this. What is the life that God created us to live? What is the life that God created us to live? We've said this all along. We look around us and, and we see the, the brokenness and the hurt and, and, and the, the wounds and traumas and, and division of our world and, and say, this can't be what he meant. This can't be what he intended. So what is the life that God created us to live? And then how is Jesus inviting us back into that kind of life? That's the hope of the gospel. So we've gone back to Genesis, and I know I was actually having a conversation last night with some friends. Uh, we were watching the game and joking about uh, not just simply that we're still in Genesis, but that we're still in Genesis chapter 2. So uh, bear with me. One more week in Genesis 2. Don't worry. Next week is grand opening. The week after that, we're going to get all the way to Genesis chapter 3. So, you know, fasten your seatbelts. We're about to really take off. But we've been looking at, I mean, in Genesis 2, and Brandon said it last week, did a phenomenal job last week uh, just opening up, uh, diving into God's heart uh, and, and what it means to walk in rhythm with God. But we see in those first three chapters that God, that, um, what I really believe is the foundation of all understanding of psychology and theology, of sociology, all of the problems and potential of this world, I think, can be boiled down into those first three chapters of the Bible. And so we've looked already at how God created, this creator God who with intention and purpose, but who is good, created mankind in his image, male and female, to bear his reflection out into the world. And by being image bearers, it carries this sense of identity. This is who they are at their core who as humanity we are meant to be, a display of God to the world. And not only do we receive identity from the God who made us into his image, but we also, that there's this inherent relationship that we are created and designed for. Relationship first and foremost with our creator who sees us, knows us, and loves us. As Kyle said, I love that. that. That question of why should I believe when you tell me that God is good when you don't even know my name, but the gospel declares there's a God that calls you by name, that sees you inside and out, the broken and the beauty, who's opened his arms wide to you and done everything he can, sacrificing his own life to bring you back into intimacy and relationship with him. That's the life we're meant to live. And so 
identity and relationship. And as Brandon uh, dove into last week, that, that created to live in rhythm with God. And some of that is, is the, the, literally the daily and the weekly rhythms, the season of rhythms in the, that, is, that is sewn into the fabric of creation, but also just in rhythm with the, the heartbeat of God as we walk throughout our day. And today we're going to look at the, the final piece of what we were created for, and it is that powerful word of responsibility. Not just relationship, but responsibility. Not just covenant, but, but calling. Not just identity, but destiny. That you were made in the image of God, that you were crafted and formed to, to be something that embodies, defines who he is, but you were also created for something. As Ephesians 2.10 says, that you are God's handiwork, his poema, his poem, created in Christ Jesus. Good works that God has prepared in advance for you to walk in. Like, think about that. Before you took a breath, God had already imagined your life. And in that life, he said, this is who you are, but also, not just simply who you are, but this is what I have made you to do. How I've created you to live with purpose and meaning, significance, contribution. And so in Genesis 1, we see God as the creator God. And in fact, the name for God in Genesis 1, Elohim, God of the universe. The master God who reigns over all and it is his transcendent voice beyond time and space that brings creation into being. His word that creates worlds. The mighty, powerful God. But in Genesis 2, we get another side of who God is. We get the covenant God, Yahweh, Jehovah. God, not just simply of a transcendent voice, but a God of imminent presence, intimacy, oneness, intricately connected with his creation. We see God as a, a gardener, a builder, a potter, a God who's willing to get his hands dirty. And so we see that God takes mankind, in verse 7, the Lord God, Yahweh, forms the man of dust from the ground, breathes into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, actively engaged in his creation. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a river that flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there divided and actually becomes four rivers. The first, name of the first is the Pishon. is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedulam and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth is the Euphrates. And then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was still not a a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place of flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So I know I read that same passage two weeks ago when we talked about relationship. But we see that in that passage, relationship and responsibility are interconnected. They're interwoven. You can't sort of separate them out like, oh, this paragraph, this one is about relationship. And this paragraph, it's about responsibility. But the two are intimately connected. That we were created to be connected to the God and to one another. And then out of that place that we're given responsibility to steward and to care for the things that God has entrusted to us. But as we see throughout this story that it is not man and woman at the, as the central actors in this story. They're not the stars of the show. God is. You see, it's God's initiative. He's the one that places a garden in the earth. He's the one that places man in that garden. He's the one that places trees, that forms animals. He's the God who calls and commissions mankind. And he also is the one who brings the animals to man. So it's the initiation of God that invites a response. The initiation of God that invites a response. Now, this is what's important. That is the definition of responsibility. Responsibility is our ability to respond. Our ability to respond. That you are given agency, you're given voice, you're given choice, you're given the ability to act, that you are able to respond to the things that God initiates. So I was asking some other friends, you know, just throughout the week, like, when you think of responsibility, what do you think of? And sometimes me, it was like, oh, you know, like, that's the word I try to avoid. Like, responsibility. Those are the things that you have to do. Those are my obligations. Something somebody tells me to do. That's not responsibility as defined by God. That makes you a victim. Like, you are, absolutely, you are just being, like, forced into a role and told who you are and what to do. And so your responsibilities are the obligations placed upon you from outside that you're just helpless. You just have to do it. That's not responsibility as God defines it. Responsibility as God defines it is you are mankind, male and female, creating the image of God who is empowered by the very breath of God, that is sustained by the very presence of God. You are given a voice and you are given a choice. You are given action and ability to steward the things that God has set in front of you. Our ability to respond to the things that God has initiated. There's a few things that we see in here that we are responsible for. 
to enjoy, to name, and to nurture. To enjoy, to name, and to nurture. Now, I know that first one is uh, we often don't think of enjoyment and responsibility going hand in hand. But the primary narrative of this whole saga is it's a garden of delights. You are free, God says, to eat from any tree in the garden. It's good for food and pleasing to the eye. I know for, for many that their, uh, their picture of who God is, this idea of like th- that statement that you are free doesn't go hand in hand with a God that they, maybe they've grown up thinking is just restrictive or condemning or wants to hold, is holding out on you or wants to take something away from you or is waiting to just smite you on the head and tell you how big of a screw up you are. But God is saying, no, no, I want you to have life and life to the fullest. I know how you were made to live. And yes, right now the world is flying upside down. And I'm trying to set things right side up so it feels like I'm turning everything upside down. But really all I'm doing is trying to to reorient you to the real way things work. Now here's the question. As we fall into the stream of the way the world is telling us to live, how to find meaning and belonging, significance and purpose, is it working? Is it working? Are our lives any better by chasing after the things that the world tells us that we're supposed to have or who we're supposed to be? Is our life any better from from acting outside of the way that God designed us to live and to relate? God says these two trees in the garden. And we have a responsibility to enjoy the garden, but really the first responsibility to find that, to to step into that enjoyment The primary responsibility is to trust God, that he isn't holding out on them, but he wants to bless them. You see, with those two trees, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks when we get to Genesis 3 and we see what happens when mankind makes a a very sad series of choices. But that first tree, the tree of life, it's a declaration. It is a, a universal statement by God. I love you. I love you. I want what's best for you. I want you to have life and have it to the full. Eat from this tree as much as you want. I love you. Second tree, though, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's it's not a statement. It's a question. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me, God says, that I know what's best for you? Will you trust me that that I will bring to you the things that you need? Will you trust me that I will release you into the things you're meant to become? Will you trust my timing? Will you trust my purposes? Will you trust my plan? Will you trust my path? Will you trust me? And honestly, those two, that statement, that question, that right there defines the rest of the Bible from this point forward. God's continued a declaration, I love you. I haven't given up on you. I want what's best for you. You are my people. I see you. I know you. I love you. And will you trust me? Will you trust me? I mean, this is the primary question of discipleship. Do I trust God? That he knows the best way to live. 
I mean, it's the same question Moses asked the people in the wilderness at the very end of his life, is that they're about to cross into the promised land. And, and Moses says to them, he names these two trees, basically. He says, look, today I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And that echo of the garden carries forward to this moment right here, September 2021, Monroe, Georgia, I love you, God says, this morning. <laughs> Whatever you face this week, whatever's going on in your heart, your life, the failures and mistakes, the celebrations and the joys, I love you. Will you trust me? And so we were created with the responsibility to enjoy the things of God with God. John 15, 11, Jesus says that I, if you keep my commandments, if you walk in my ways, in other words, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That the goal of God's plan for our life isn't obedience, it's joy. And that it, the obedience is a means to an end. Because when we're obedient to a God that knows what's best for us, that we can trust with our lives and our hearts and our families and our marriages and our jobs, that joy is the fruit that comes from obedience. I think sometimes, a lot of times, if I'm honest with myself, that we've substituted pleasure and entertainment for joy. Entertainment or amusement. Think about the word amusement. It literally, the, the root of amusement, uh, ah, muse. Ah meaning to not, muse meaning to think. Amusement means literally not thinking. And pleasure is only as deep as our nerve endings. Now, sometimes pleasure and joy can be interconnected. Absolutely. But honestly, you can experience pleasure and also at the same time be reaping deep wounds and shame and guilt because pleasure is only as deep as our nerve endings. But joy, joy goes down to the depths of our soul. Joy is that thing, that, 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 that awareness of the goodness of God despite our circumstances. Joy is about presence, about being fully awake and alive to the things of God, deeply engaged in the presence of others. And joy isn't even the absence of pain. Joy. is rooted in our soul. I mean, joy was last weekend, I got to go to father-son camp and take my boys. I've been going up to Camp Ridgecrest in North Carolina every August for the last several years and, and watching my boys uh, do the axe throwing. And the difference between their reaction when they finally got it to stick and so they were throwing it over and over again. And finally, when Ben, my oldest, threw it and, it and it went around and it stuck in that wood, and he turned around and I mean, like beaming and have and almost surprised. I mean, he was like, <gasps> Jake, and my youngest, on the other hand, I mean, time after, I mean, he's so little determined little guy, and so time after time, and it's just dinking off the wall. It's going all over the place. And finally, after, I don't even know, 30 throws, it sticks into the wall, and he turns around going. 
It actually happened to be the one time I was videoing. I was like, praise the Lord, I caught that on film, that moment right there. Like, of course I just did that. But my heart was so full that like, the, 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 yes, pleasure, but the, the, the delight of watching these boys grow up. The differences in, in who they are and who they're becoming. Joy was actually the experience of, I shared a few weeks ago about recognizing and having to deal with grief and sadness of watching my oldest as she's a senior now and, and processing her graduating and leaving. But also at the same time, that deep gratitude and, and that so proud of who she is and that delight in being able to launch her into who she's becoming. Like joy and sadness aren't opposites. But joy is being alive and awake to the things of God. Joy is about presence. Joy is genuine laughter sitting around a table with friends in a safe place that you feel known and loved. Joy is being alone on a mountaintop and watching the sunset and marveling at the beauty of God. This is the invitation of the garden. Joy lasts. Pleasure is a moment. Amusement is mind-numbing. Joy is about presence. And that's the life that God's inviting us into. And that is the first act of responsibility. To respond to the things that God initiates. To enjoy the life that he set in front of us. To appreciate and value. I'm going to move quickly through these next two. But the second is to name. Responsible to name. We see that, that to name is to take ownership of. But not in, in God's economy, not to lord over, but to cultivate, to serve, to steward. In Genesis 1, it is God who does the naming. But in Genesis 2, God names the trees. It's God who defines what abundant life is. But then he begins to pass that responsibility over to Adam and Eve. So the name is to take ownership of. So how do we apply that into our life? What does it mean to name, to take ownership of the life that is in front of you? What does it look like to take, as an eight-year-old boy, to take ownership of their room? Or as a teacher, to take ownership of your third grade class? To take ownership of your soccer team? To take ownership of your marriage, of your family? And again... Not to lord over, but to cultivate, to serve, to steward. To look for ways that build and bless. Ways that I can speak words of life and hope and encouragement. Where I can help someone or something to grow, to develop, to mature. Adam and Eve were given the garden to tend, to steward. And we can really only step into that place of ownership from a place of confidence. That I know who I am and I know who I belong to. And so I'm able to engage in that place in a way that is not demanding or manipulative, not to get anything back from you. That I can love you regardless of your response. That we name the things in our life. We take ownership of the things that we've been given to steward. 
And I think there are many times that we look at our circumstances, we look at our roles, and we, again, take almost the victim mentality. Look at these things happening to me. And God is inviting us to step in and say, no, 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 you are here to take authority over these things. Not to have domination over them, but to lower yourself in order to lift up, to engage in that place. What would it look like for you to own your role as a husband or as a wife? What would it look like for you to own your role as a child or as a parent? What would it look like for you to own your role as a boss or as an employee? And sometimes we have to name things that aren't healthy, that aren't good. But only when we name things can we begin to reign them, that we can begin to shape them, that we can fix them. And it's oftentimes the things that go unnamed that rule over us. What needs to be named in your life? Whether it's named something that you, God is inviting you to take ownership, authority, responsibility, stewardship of, or something that God is, is, is challenging you to name, to deal with, to be honest about, to name that issue, to name that, uh, that, that brokenness. So to enjoy, to name, and to nurture. Dave Rhodes had a great, we'll just keep quoting Dave Rhodes left and right here this morning. Although I'm going to correct Kyle, that wasn't actually Dave Rhodes' quote, that was Jim Rayburn's quote, the guy who started Young Life. That kids don't know how, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But Rhodes did actually say this one, that what we nurture today becomes what nourishes us tomorrow. What we nurture today becomes what nourishes us tomorrow. Adam and Eve were set in the garden to tend it, to take care of it, to protect and guard it, to cultivate it. And there's this sense in this picture of the garden, of these rivers flowing out of it, that, that the resource of the garden is meant to, 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 to uh, empower, to, to bless the world. You've got the rivers flowing out that are, that, are, that are filled with gold. I mean, there's this value in the garden that God has invited them to steward it and tend it, not just for that place, but that as they steward it, the blessing of God would expand out to the ends of the earth. I mean, this is the same invitation in Matthew 28. Jesus isn't saying anything new. From the beginning, God's plan has been to use his people to advance his goodness and his blessing to the ends of the earth. To bring the world into alignment with the ways of God. That's all Jesus is saying when he says, now go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, make, bring people into alignment with my ways and who I am. And so this world pregnant with potential, this garden filled with potential, but it requires attention. It's not just going to reproduce on its own. It's not going to, I mean, think about it like a garden, uh, not just like, a, you, know, um, you know, a little seed bed that you might have next to your house, but think more like the botanical gardens. But what even happens to that tiny little seed bed next to your house when it's not tended? I mean, go in my backyard and you'll find out real fast what it looks like. I mean, there's weeds, and there, I mean, I have one random, like, scraggly little tomato plant that's got, like, a dead tomato hanging on for dear life to the end of it. Some kind of herb that I don't even know what it is anymore that's half dead and burned from the sun. That's what happens to gardens when they're not tended. The Garden of Eden had all kinds of potential, not for just for that place, but for the rest of the world. But it was meant to be tended. God has intended mankind from the beginning to be stewards of his creation. 
So yes, there's all kinds of ways we can see that if we take care of the world, that we take care of the world, so the world will take care of us. But more personally, what about the garden of your heart? What about the garden of your soul? The garden of your family? The garden of your marriage? The garden of your business? The garden of your relationships? What are you nurturing, tending, giving attention to? And so, if we nurture gratitude and thanksgiving, we will be nourished by peace. If we nurture praise, we'll be nourished by joy. If we nurture blessing and encouragement, we will be nourished by hope. If we nurture generosity, we will be nurtured, nourished by abundance. If we nurture sacrifice, we'll be nourished by love. If we nurture honor, we'll be nourished by connection. If we nurture rest, we will be nourished by revelation. But, but, if we nurture unforgiveness, we shouldn't be surprised that we were malnourished by bitterness. That what we nurture now is meant to nourish us later. What we steward now will sustain us later. If we nurture despair, we shouldn't be surprised when we were malnourished with apathy. If we nurture resentment, that we are malnourished by anger. If we nurture envy, that we are malnourished by discontent. If we nurture striving, that we are malnourished by exhaustion. That if we nurture disrespect, we'll be malnourished by contempt. If we nurture fear, we'll be malnourished by anxiety. And if we nurture control, we are malnourished by stress. And so the invitation of the garden is to nurture today what will nourish us tomorrow. So God is saying, I want you to be nourished by peace and joy and love and hope. So come into my presence and nurture the things that will produce life. I don't want the garden of my heart to be filled with exhaustion and discontent, apathy and bitterness, anxiety and stress, but what am I nourishing? So we're invited to enjoy, we're invited to name, and we're invited to nurture. I want to close with this, and then we'll bring it to some application for today. There is a dream that God has planted in your hearts, unique to you, that he knew when he formed you in your mother's womb. There are things that he uniquely crafted and created you to do in this world for the sake of his kingdom. Grace Monroe was birthed out of a vision that what Walton County needed was not another church. What Walton County needed was some empowered people stepping into their true identity and living out their God-given calling. And what would it look like for a community of people to gather together, to encourage one another, to dive into God's word, and then to, to courageously, even sometimes fearfully, step into the things that God has given us to steward, to be responsible for, to create, to form, to build, to restore. And so that's why in our early years, things that launched out of Grace Monroe and like CrossFit gyms and restaurants and, and ministries and organizations and foster care. And, I mean, all kinds of things as, as we began to dream. But 
the repentance that I came to this past week, that God absolutely broke my heart in the back of the room on the last day of our staff conference, was simply this, and I'll make a confession to you. How easy it is to get into just simply maintaining church on Sunday mornings. I mean, it's the most visible, obvious thing we do, right? We get together for a few hours on Sunday, sing some songs, I prepare a sermon. But all of this is just the setup. <laughs> this is just the, the preparation for the real work of the church. The real work of the church, it, the church isn't this building, it never has been. The church isn't a thing called grace, it never has been. You and I, we are the church. And what Jesus has done is he's gone back to the garden and said, listen, this is what you're created for and your souls are starving for. Step into an awareness of my presence. Enjoy the things that I have set into your life and steward the things that I have entrusted to you. Walk in discovery and awareness. Take some risks. What are the things that God has uniquely put into your life? What are the things he's set right in front of you in your hands? And maybe that is going to require you to walk away from something, to step into something else, to begin something. Or maybe it's just to take ownership of what you already have. That's what I had to do this week. God, what have you set right in front of me to enjoy, to nurture, to name? I wanted to end with this story. This is a... Because I think it beautifully illustrates this idea of God calling forth something in a person's heart and life. Last Sunday, uh, we had the privilege of um, blanking on the word, commissioning uh, a young man, Lee Lopez, into uh, the newest lead pastor role of the Grace Family of Churches. And uh, Lee has been a part of our church since uh, he was young and grew up through the youth ministry and into uh, and into ministry, and now he's taking on the leadership of Grace Lanier. And, and so to, to bless him, to send him out as that church has been launched there in um, the Gainesville area. And so this is just his story. But I think it's a beautiful, a, a beautiful picture of the same thing. And, and it doesn't, what I don't want us to hear is, okay, to really step into God's call in my life, i got to become a pastor. I mean, that is the call in Lee's life. That, that may not be the call in your life. We desperately need Jesus-loving teachers and lawyers and nurses and engineers and plumbers as much as we need boring pastors. So what is God cultivating in the garden of your hearts? What is God cultivating in your life? What is he calling you forward into? Into his presence to enjoy, to name, to nurture. What does God have for you? And so this morning as we worship, obviously an invitation to receive from the Lord. What is he doing in you? What is he stirring in you? And often the biggest calls in our life actually seem like at the time just a small decision, a small step forward. Yes, I'll volunteer in that third grade class. Yes, I'll take that neighbor out to lunch. And then we look back and go, oh, oh, that's what God was doing. So I invite you to take the elements of communion, this reminder, the presence and the power of God, these simple elements that go back to two trees in a garden. I love you. Will you trust me? So Jesus took that bread of the Passover, the bread of deliverance and redemption and said, this is my body 
given for you. Take, eat. And every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The awareness of my presence, my power with you and for you. To sustain you, to carry you. And so church, I invite you to take, eat the body of Christ given for you. Take that little cup and open it up. Jesus then took the, the cup of Passover, that wine of redemption, and he said that this is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of a new covenant. Get that word, because that word goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. A new covenant, new unbreakable relationship with the God of this universe, the life that we were created to live. And so for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, have received his forgiveness by his death on the cross, have stepped into that new life by his resurrection, I invite you, church, take, drink the blood of Christ shed for you. God, we thank you for your sustaining presence, your Holy Spirit that empowers, that awakens and calls forth into new life. And I pray for your sons and daughters in this room, even as we turn our hearts and to sing your praise and, and to receive and worship, Lord, to respond to your word. Now, what is your voice? What is your spirit, your word saying to us this morning? What are you calling us to enjoy by your presence? What are you calling us to, to name, to take ownership, to release the baggage of our past or the lies that we are a victim of our circumstances and to step forward with the voice and the choice, the power that you have given us with you? What are you inviting us to nurture, to give attention to? Lord, we turn our hearts to you. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, 